Amen. Great worship. Hey, everybody. Good to see you on this cold uh, Tennessee morning. Glad to be here. Thank you, Dr. Rains, for your invitation to be here uh, this weekend for the City of Prayer Conference. Your team, uh, all the staff that just did a phenomenal job of preparing a great conference, and uh, I'm so grateful for it. I want to ask you this morning, if you ever face any challenges in life, that's kind of a redundant, almost a dumb question, isn't it? Do you face any challenges in life? Well, last summer, uh, the Washington Post and People Magazine and even the English uh, news service, The Daily Wire, carried uh, the unusual story of Wendy Henson, a 47-year-old accountant from Mitchellsville, Iowa. And uh, one afternoon on July the 2nd of this past summer, uh, she and her boyfriend are motorcycle enthusiasts, and they decided to go ride their motorcycles. And after they had been out riding for a while, the security company that kept an eye on her house I got in touch with her and told her that her house was on fire. So obviously they turned around and headed back. And just as she came up over a hill, she saw the smoke rising and the flames engulfing her home. And she was so distracted that she wrecked her motorcycle. She would learn later that she broke her shoulder and her collarbone. But they went on down to the house where the fire department was putting out the flames and the house and everything she owned was gone. So they put her in an ambulance to take her to the hospital for her motorcycle wreck injuries. And when they got there, a CT scan showed that she had a large mass growing on her kidney. So in one day, She learned that her house burned down. She wrecked her motorcycle. She broke her collarbone and her shoulder, and she had stage one kidney cancer. The Washington Post asked her uh, about that, and she said, if you'd have asked me this before, if you'd have asked me if I had any stressful days, She said, I would have said every day is a stressful day. But now, I would say, you don't know the meaning of the word. I would say her life that day was the definition of a bad day. Do you ever have challenging days? The reality is, in this life, we face the headwinds of opposition and the roadblocks of difficulty on a regular basis. I am a guest here, but I am certain that in this room and watching online, there are those who are experiencing challenging days in relationships today. Maybe your marriage looks good on the outside, but is hanging by the slender spider web of the next decision you make. Maybe your children are far from God or your grandchildren. 
Perhaps you've gotten some bad news about your health from the doctor and you're surrounding yourself with your praying friends right now. Or maybe you're a guest here and you don't know the Lord and you're looking for some answers because you've gotten that bad news call from the doctor. Or maybe like a lot of people today, you have more month at the end of your money instead of more money at the end of your month. And financial challenges or meeting a payroll have become difficult in your life at this particular moment. Or perhaps like everybody in this room, you still struggle at times with personal temptation that keeps coming back even after you've confessed it time and time again. We all face difficult, challenging days. Here's my question. Where does prayer fit in during your days of challenge? I want to introduce you today to a woman who lived a thousand years before Jesus, who faced incredible difficulties, but her challenges are not unlike those we face today in the 21st century. But this woman was a woman of prayer. And through prayer, she was able to engage God. She prioritized prayer. And that's exactly what I want us to look at this morning as we look at the subject, prioritizing prayer. Would you open your Bibles with me, please, to 1 Samuel, the Old Testament, chapter 1. Sometimes you hear this message on Mother's Day, but this message is good for everybody. This passage applies to what we're going through right now, today. I want you to open your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 1. Would you begin reading with me in verse 9? And after they had eaten and drunk in Shiloh, Hannah rose. Now, Hannah is going to be the hero of this story. After they had eaten and drunk in Shiloh, Hannah rose. Now, Eli, the priest, was sitting on the seat beside the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. She was deeply distressed. Now watch this series of descriptions about the many challenges that were beginning to overwhelm this woman of prayer. She was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and no razor shall ever touch his head. As she continued praying before the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was speaking in her heart, only her lips moved, and her voice was not heard. Therefore, Eli took her to be a drunken woman. And Eli that's the old priest, said to her, how long will you go on being drunk? Put your wine away from you. But Hannah answered, no, my Lord, I am a woman troubled in spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I have been pouring out my soul before the Lord. Do not regard your servant as a worthless woman. For all along, 
I have been speaking out of my great anxiety and vexation. Then Eli answered, Go in peace, and the God of Israel grant your petition that you have made to him. And she said, Let your servant find favor in your eyes. This dear lady, Hannah, which means grace, this lady, in spite of the challenges of her life, had learned somewhere along the way to prioritize prayer. And may I just say to those of us that are going through some dark days, when you prioritize prayer, you're prioritizing God. And when you prioritize God, you're inviting the miraculous intervention of God who can do what no one can ever do. Now, some of us at this moment are not going through too many challenges. We've come through some tough times. Some, on the other hand, may be going through some of the most difficult days you've ever gone through in your life. But may I say to you that there are only three kind of people in this room. Those that are going through the difficult days, those that have just come out of the difficult days, or those who are about to go into difficult days. Life can present to us some challenging, desperate moments. And so uh, this morning, I want you to notice, uh, as we have looked at this passage, that you can do more than pray after you've prayed, but you cannot do more than pray until you have prayed. Prayer is the game changer. Prayer makes all the difference. And so this morning, as you are coming out of your difficult moments, you're walking through your challenging moments, or you've lived long enough to know that there are going to be other difficulties ahead, I want us to notice a simple truth from this passage, and that is this, prioritizing prayer helps you overcome your most desperate challenges. Let me say it again. Prioritizing prayer helps you overcome your most desperate challenges. May I just read those verses again with that in mind? At verse 9, after they'd eaten and drunk in Shiloh, Hannah rose. Now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat beside the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. She was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look upon the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and no razor shall ever touch his head. And as she continued praying before the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was speaking in her heart, only her lips moved and her voice was not heard. Therefore, Eli took her to be a drunken woman. And Eli said to her, how long will you go on being drunk? Put your wine away from you. But Hannah answered, no, my Lord. I'm a woman troubled in spirit. I've neither drunk uh, 
wine nor strong drink, but I've been pouring out my soul before the Lord. Do not regard your servant as a worthless woman, for all along I've been speaking out of my great anxiety and vexation. Then Eli answered, Go in peace. The God of Israel grant your petition that you have made to him. And she said, Let your servant find favor in your eyes. She was facing desperate moments and she was praying a desperate prayer. Leonard Ravenhill, the 20th century preacher and author, once said, and I quote, God doesn't answer prayer. He answers desperate prayer. Now, what's going on in this story? Most of you know this story pretty well. Uh, these people, uh, Hannah was married to a man by the name of Elkanah. He had two wives, which by the way, you never find a good example of more than one wife in the Bible. It's, it's always a problem. And uh, he had a second wife by the name of Penina. The problem, the drama of this story is that Penina had children and Hannah did not. And uh, this burdened her. And uh, her husband's second wife, Penina, Every time she had another child, she would goad and ridicule Hannah for being uh, childless. And this became intolerable. Now, every year, Elkanah was a godly man, and he would take his family up to Shiloh. Now, before David and before Jerusalem, Shiloh was the capital of Israel. And it was the place where they had brought the Ark of the Covenant uh, hundreds of years earlier and established a temporary worship place which they call the temple but this is not the temple in Jerusalem but it was the holiest place at the time so every year Elkanah and his two wives would go up to worship and the ridicule would begin and one day uh, Hannah just couldn't take it anymore you ever get to that place and she went over by the temple and she began to worship and she began to pray and she began to pour her heart out before the Lord. Now, the problem on top of the problem was that the old priest Eli had become so indifferent to the things of God. And he had two sons who were absolutely corrupt that had taken over the daily activities around the house of God. And so the whole, the whole temple area had been corrupted by the sinfulness of the leaders. And uh, this woman was praying. Her heart was broken. She wanted a child. And the old priest saw her praying and thought she was drunk. Now, how bad is a church when the preacher thinks you're drunk when you're praying? We got problems. And he called her out. And she said, I'm not drunk. I'm praying. I'm praying a desperate prayer. I want a son. And if God would give me a son, I will devote him to be a Nazarite. The holy vow that Samson later had and that or earlier had had and, and John the Baptist would later have. A holy man that will be completely devoted to God and I'll bring him to the house of the Lord and I'll give him to you to let the 
priests lead him and train him and equip him. Now, moms and dads, the next time your son gets a little crazy, don't bring him up to the church and drop him off forever. The church can help, but we don't want him permanently. But this lady said, I'll do anything if God will give me a son. So much so that I'm willing to devote that child completely to the Lord as soon as he is old enough. Do y'all, as parents and grandparents, sense the desperation of that type of decision? I have lived, come on somebody, long enough with the challenges that I'm having to face. I am tired of the roadblocks of difficulty. I'm exhausted from the headwinds of opposition. I've tried to seek advice from everyone from left to right, but I've decided to look up because I'm desperate for God to do what only God can do. Look at her desperation. Look what she was experiencing. If you look down here at verse 10, she was deeply distressed. The Hebrew there is bitter of soul. Y'all remember the book of Ruth? Her mother-in-law said, call me Mara. Mara means bitter. Like you put some bitter uh, leaf or root in your mouth and just the taste is, is so hard to take. She said, my life is like a bitter taste. And then it says that she wept bitterly. And then down in verse 11, the Bible says, uh, Lord, look upon the affliction of your servant. And then scroll down here to verse 14 and uh, verse 15 rather. She said, I'm a woman troubled in spirit and I've been pouring out my soul. And in verse 16, she said, I have great anxiety and vexation. I mean, this woman was not a negative thinker. She had just grown weary of the difficulty of her circumstances at that moment. She was deeply distressed. She was weeping bitterly. She was experiencing affliction. She was troubled in spirit. She was pouring out her soul. And she had great anxiety and vexation. And she brought all of that to God in prayer. Because she had learned the secret of fervent prayer. Fervent prayer. Have you ever learned the secret of fervent prayer? In other words, you're not just praying a type of prayer that you were taught as a child. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. I remember one time my wife was at the mall when our kids were little. And she went out to get in the car on a hot summer day. And she went to turn the key and the engine wouldn't start. And she said, oh no. And she forgot she had a car full of little kids. And the kids said, what's wrong, mommy? And she said, the car won't start. Pray it starts. And she kind of meant it as a figure of speech. Well, my little four-year-old Laura said, I'll pray. And then Tina thought, oh no, I've taught this child to pray for something that isn't going to happen. 
And little Laura bowed her head and she said, God is great, God is good, God, we thank you for this food, amen. And the car started. You know, you never know (laughs) what God will do. But sometimes we have not leaned into the problems and challenges of life and prayed with fervency, depending on a God who can override every challenge. We still tend to pray as if our prayers need to be polite in the presence of God. We need to speak with just the right diction in the presence of God. Maybe we even need to use a little King James language in the presence of God. But here was a woman who was bitter in soul, filled with anxiety, wrapped up in vexation. She was absolutely pouring out her soul. She really didn't care what anybody else thought. She couldn't take another step in life as it was. And she said, God, if you don't help me, no help is on the way. She had learned to pray with fervency of spirit. Richard Watson once said, prayer without fervency is no prayer. It is speaking, not praying. Lifeless prayer is no more prayer than a picture of a man is a man. This uh, disciple of John Wesley, Richard Watson, understood that sometimes we are so timid and, and have so much uh, trepidation when it comes to prayer and, and we forget that God is our heavenly loving Father who understands uh, not from afar but close by what kind of challenges and difficulties we're facing at this very moment. And God is saying to us, come to me, bring your stuff, bring your problems, bring your marriage, bring your uh, prodigal children, bring your uh, concerns about what the doctor said. Tell me what the attorney said. Tell me what you're waiting on to hear from the judge. Tell me what you need me to do. And he said to Jeremiah, while Jeremiah was facing a prison term, call to me and I will answer you and I will show you great and mighty things which you do not know. Does anybody in Tennessee remember that God hears and answers prayer today? No matter how difficult your challenges may be, you can pray fervently. You can pour your life into prayer with the confidence that God hears and answers prayer. When I think of fervency, maybe you're like me. You think of David Brainerd, that 29-year-old colonial preacher who served for four years as a missionary in the New York State and Massachusetts area, and he had one Native American translator to translate the gospel to the Native Americans that he was trying to reach in colonial 1700s America. And most of the time, his translator was drunk. But he was the only one who could speak both a little bit of English and a little bit of the language of the Native Americans. And David Brainerd didn't have any of the luxuries you and I enjoy. He didn't have any of the advantages we have. He didn't have the mission-sending agencies and the support that we give our missionaries today. Instead, he spent his life dependent on one thing, the power of prayer. His diary says that sometimes he would go out in the snow and make himself a little place and begin to pray. And sometimes he would pray 12 hours a day until the sweat of his body would melt the snow around him. 
I think of fervency in prayer. I think of Leonard Ravenhill, as I mentioned a moment ago, a 20th century author and preacher who would wake up every night in the middle of the night, get out of bed and pray for hours every day. Leonard Ravenhill once said, any preacher who doesn't spend two hours a day in prayer is not worth his salt, degrees or no degrees. A challenging and convicting word to every leader. Or maybe you would think of a church I know in Austin, Texas, Northwest Fellowship, where my dear buddy Trey Kent is the pastor. During COVID, when everything was lopsided and upside down, difficulties everywhere, and trying to get people back to church was impossible for a while. Trey began to pray and say, God, where should we be headed? And this pastor decided that he was going to lead his church to be a 24-7 church of prayer. And he organized his people after the pandemic had ended and he cast the vision that we're going to pray 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year till Jesus comes. And they started signing up prayer warriors and assigning them to all hours of the night, 10 o'clock at night, 2 o'clock in the morning, 5 o'clock in the morning and on throughout the day. And for 18 months, this pastor has led his church to pray 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year until Jesus comes. That's fervency in prayer. But you say, wait a minute, Kai. I can't pray 12 hours a day out in the cold. I, I can't get up every night uh, of the week and pray for hours through the night. And I, frankly, I can't even conceive of a ministry that goes 24 hours a day, seven days a week. I get it. I, I totally understand. But does anyone here agree with me that for far too long, we have made prayer our last resort instead of our first response? We have made prayer the spare tire of the Christian life rather than the engine that drives the Christian life. And I am calling on you today to rise up in prayer, believing that your God is able to still the storm. He's able to bring light into darkness. He's able to bring health where there is sickness. He is able to redeem that which is lost. He is able to restore that which has been devoured by circumstance. Rise up and pray with fervent belief that God hears and answers prayer. But then I want you to notice one other quick thing about this girl's life. She had learned the secret, not only of fervent prayer, but fearless prayer. You know, I've been uh, studying this passage with a lot of fondness for many, many years. Preached on it many times. Never this message, but always loved this passage. And Dr. Raines, Pastor Ronnie, until preparing for today, I never noticed something. So this is the first time I've had the privilege of sharing something with you that I'd never really noticed before. The fearlessness of this woman's prayers, how little she cared about the opinion of the faithless people, come on somebody, around her. Let me show you what I'm talking about. Let's look at uh, verse 8. 
backing up. You don't have this on the screen. Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? And why do you not eat? Why is your heart sad? Now listen to this, fellas. Am I not more to you than ten sons? You know, when she was all upset about year after year never having a child and she was weeping and fasting and you know just despondent she said he said honey what's wrong you know i gave you twice as much food as i gave the other girl i'm feeding you good and and after all baby am i not better to you than 10 sons and everybody look real closely that question just kind of hangs in the air with no answer And then back up a little bit. You don't have this on the screen, but look at verse 6. This is the rival, the provocateur, the other wife. And her rival used to provoke her grievously, to irritate her, because the Lord had closed her womb. And this went on, verse 7, year after year. And then if you would, look at verse 14. She goes down to the church to have a word of prayer. And Eli said to her, how long will you go on being drunk? Put your wine away from you. There are about four main characters in this story. There's Elkanah, the husband. There's Penina, the second wife. There's Eli, the old priest. And of course, there's Hannah. And not one of those people understood what she was going through. In fact, they made it worse. It was only Hannah that was willing, come on somebody, to block out the negative narrative of the naysayers and take her complaint straight to the throne of God. She prayed fearlessly. I like what the New York pastor Nelson Searcy said not long ago, praying boldly is simply praying with the confidence that God hears your prayers and wants to bless you. Bold prayers garner big responses. You say, what was bold about a prayer? How do you feel when everybody you know and care about is against you? Have you ever been misunderstood? Have you ever been going through some dark days and gotten bad advice? Or has anyone ever tried to make your situation worse? In other words, you're, you may be around someone at work or maybe, unfortunately, even in your family. When they see you down, they love to take a swing at you. Or perhaps you've even been hurt by a religious leader. You've come to a church or to someone you thought you could trust and they completely blamed you for the situation. Well, that's exactly what was happening with her. Look, her husband said, what are you crying about? I'm giving you twice as much food as the other woman. And aren't you just blessed to have me as a husband? What do you need kids for when you got me? In other words, watch this. He, look, he was encouraging her to be satisfied 
with the status quo that was beneath the will of God for her life. I'm telling you, I believe in the United States of America today, our great country that we love with every drop of our blood and every scintilla of our being. We are surrounded by tens of millions of people who are telling us, calm down. Take your religion and tone it down a little bit. Be satisfied with what you see. Don't expect more. Be content with the status quo. And then look at her enemy combatant, her husband's other wife. She ridiculed him. She wanted her uh, husband's wife, Hannah, to be miserable. She wanted her to live not with answered prayer, but in more misery, more defeat, more anxiety, what she called bitterness of soul. And then she finally said, well, I'm going to go to church. Bless God, I'm going to church. And when she got to church, she was just praying and believing God. And the old priest was so corrupt when he saw her he said you're drunk in other words he said you are a sinner and you are out of the will of God now look at this girl all she wanted to do was pray all she wanted to do was ask God to do something in her life that nobody else could do and her husband said just be satisfied with what you got and don't strive hard and press into the will of God Her rival said, I'm happy you're miserable. I wish you nothing but more misery. And the old priest said, you are never going to connect with God because you're so bad. I'll tell you, friend, fearless prayer says, I am going to pray if I'm the last person on this planet, if I'm the last person in this nation, if I'm the last person in this great community i am going to seek god until i hear from god until god hears and answers my prayer i'm not going to listen to the negative narrative of the naysayer i'm going to press into god it doesn't matter to me if the general population uh, goes against me it does not matter to me if i must stand alone it doesn't matter to me if i am in the minority because with god i am a majority so i am going to pray and turn my life toward God. You know, I have to think when I think of this fearlessness in obeying God and trusting God, I have to think of a man who was martyred for his faith 70 year, uh, 68 years ago last week. You've all heard the story of Jim Elliott, a handsome young student at Wheaton College. He married a beautiful young girl named Elizabeth and Along with a few other missionaries, Jim and Elizabeth headed off to Ecuador where they had great visions of pouring their life into the Alca Indians of Ecuador and ministering to them. And uh, the Alca Indians were like a primitive, you'd almost say like a, like a Stone Age type of people. They, it's like they had never seen the outside world. And Jim had such high hopes about ministering to them and taking the gospel and he befriended one or two of them and one day he and a couple of the others on January the 8th 1956 68 years ago last week he and a couple of the others flew their little 
you know, plane over into the jungle to minister to the people they had connected with. And there they were assassinated. They found their bodies on the 8th of January riddled with poison-tipped arrows, killed by the very people they were trying to reach. Some would say, look, this man was in his 20s. He had his whole life ahead of him. His wife with a little bitty baby. And here they are just trying to do the Lord's work. What a wasted life and what a tragedy. But after he died, they found his diary. And one of his last entries, if not his last entry, were these words. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep in order to gain what he cannot lose. You were never called to live by the narrative and the stories and the gossip and the unbelief of a world around you. You were called to walk single file with Jesus Christ, trusting that no matter what may come, it has come to you from the permissive will of God into your life. And when challenges and difficulties and problems come as they will, you will come to God with a fearless prayer. It doesn't matter. Listen to me. I'm being kind. I've been a pastor all my life. It doesn't matter what the pastor says listen it doesn't matter what the visiting preacher says it doesn't matter what the parent says it doesn't matter what the professor says it doesn't matter what the police say it doesn't matter what the prosecutor says doesn't matter what the politician says if they are out of the will of God only what God says about you is true You are what God says about you. Nothing more, nothing less, nothing else. Rise up, church, and pray fearless, bold prayers. But I got one more thing that I noticed in this girl's life. She had learned to pray faithful prayers. Faithful prayers. Look at verse 17. The old priest had a little breakthrough. This first time he'd seen a godly person in who knows when. And he answered, go in peace. And the God of Israel grant your petition that you have made to him. And she said, let your servant find favor in your eyes. And she went on about her business. And sure enough, little Samuel eventually was born. And he became the, one of the greatest leaders of Israel's history, comparable to Moses in the Old Testament. One of the great praying intercessors and a man who recognized the value of a young kid out in a shepherd's field named David. And the whole world changed because of the baby that was born as a result of Hannah's prayer. Wesley Duell, the great prayer warrior who was from over here in Indiana, said in the 20th century, prayer is not limited. Oh, somebody listen. Somebody came to hear this. Prayer is not limited to the humanly possible. Prayer is a work of faith. You know what amazes me about this young lady? <laughs> she was so full of the glory of God and so full of trust in God, it, it, it didn't take much to convince her that God was going to answer her prayers. All it took was for one old backsliding preacher, one old backslidden preacher to say, go in peace, God has heard you. And she said, that's all I needed to know. 
That's all I needed to know. And by the time they got back home up into the mountainous regions of what we call the West Bank today, she and her husband were able to get together. And before long, she had that little baby. And I'm telling you, history was altered for God and for good because that one girl prayed and God gave her a son that was a world changer. You and I are not called to live by what we see. We're not called to live by what we feel. We're not called to live by how many challenges we have faced in the past. The Bible says we live by faith and not by sight. And that means we got to pray by faith. You say, you say, preacher, you know, you're a long way from Texas. You don't have any idea how difficult my life has been. No, I don't. But I do know how much Jesus paid for your life. I know how much God loves you. And I know that he sent his only son to die on an old rugged Roman cross to pour out every drop of his blood so that his heart stopped beating and his brain waves stopped in order that they might lay him in a borrowed rich man's tomb only on the third day to say up from the grave he arose a mighty triumph o'er his foes and Jesus today is alive and he's calling you to live and pray in faith. Several years ago, my wife, who's from northern Kentucky, just not far from here, uh, she, her grandmother had died, and we were home visiting, and she wanted to go see her grandmother's grave, which she had not seen since the funeral. So we drove up, we got directions to the cemetery, and We'd never actually been there because we weren't there for the burial service, the internment. So a year or so later, we wanted to see where her grandmother had been buried. And we drove up to this, and I want to say this, I, I hope it doesn't come across strange. It was a beautiful cemetery. I mean, some, it was old and, and up around that part of the country. In the olden days especially, those uh, gravestones were not just the normal stones that we expect they were elaborate i mean we were driving through and i was just a young guy and uh, we were i'd never seen anything like it we were driving through that cemetery and there were big granite you know or marble angels and magnificent statues i'd never seen anything like it in my life i was overwhelmed by it all and i don't even remember finding our grandmother's grave i'm sure we did but i was so taken back by all this uh you know fantastic uh sculpture work but then i saw a small grave and it was no more than about waist high and about four feet wide and it had the man's name on it and uh the day he was born and then the day he died and i never heard of the man and i don't remember his name but as a young believer, it was that grave that meant more to me than all the others. He wasn't a member of our family. I didn't know him. But I knew one thing about him. He was a follower of Jesus. Because all the other graves were angels and big elaborate sculptures. This man was a humble stone with his name and the dates 
And these words, He who believes in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. Do you believe this? Pastor Ronnie, I thought to myself, I wonder which son or daughter he was leaving that message for. I wonder which grandchild that he may have never met he was leaving that message for. I wonder what passerby who never knew the man like I never knew him and would never remember his name years later would always remember that here was a man who wanted his faith in Jesus Christ to be known beyond the grave when Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? That is the most powerful question that you and I will ever hear in life. We can listen to the sermons, the wonderful music. We can attend the classes. But it comes down to this. Sir, do you believe it? Dear lady, ma'am, sister, do you believe it? Young person, do you believe it? Today, I am inviting you to believe what God says. And when you pray, pray with the assurance that God hears and answers our prayer when we pray in faith. What are you praying about today? What are you asking God to do that no one else can do? For your family, in your workplace, in your personal life, or perhaps in your church, what is it today that you would say, I need God to break through my circumstances. I need God to override the negative voices of unbelief around me. I need God to speak into my timidity and my fear and let me pray with bold faith, believing that God and God alone can meet the challenges because when you prioritize prayer, you prioritize God, and when you prioritize God, the miraculous is possible in your life because Jesus said, with God, all things are possible. Do you believe this? I'm wondering if you'd like to pray right now. Would you like to begin praying right where you left off the last time you thought it wasn't worth it? I'm going to ask our musicians to come. Be ready for our time of invitation to prepare us for worship. I'm asking you in the balcony if today you would like to pray like never before. If you would like to believe God to enter into your family. Listen, he knows your address. He reads your email. He knows your thoughts before they become your words. He understands what you're going through right now and Whatever the challenge is, whatever the problem is, he has an answer. And he has already decided how he wants to bless you, how he wants to solve the dilemma, how he wants to answer the questions that you don't find answers to, if you will pray and believe. This area at the front is obviously the platform of your church. But in these moments, believing people can turn this platform area into an altar. 
from the balcony here on the lower floor. You can get up and you can come. Maybe husbands, as a show of your leadership, spiritual leadership in your home, take your believing wife by the hand. Say, honey, let's go down and pray. Young people, you're a college student, a high school student. You may be the only believer in your family. You may be the only believer in your workplace. You may, be, you may feel like the only believer in your school or on your campus. But with God, you're a majority. Today you say, I'm going to get up and I'm going to come and I'm going to bring my challenges. I'm going to bring my difficulties. I'm going to bring my hardships. I'm going to bring those things which I'm facing and I'm going to give them to God. You may say, well, I've done this before. Then do it again. Keep praying. Keep trusting. Keep asking God to move in your life. I'm going to ask everyone to stand all over this great worship center right now. Everyone's standing. And I'm going to ask you today if you'd be willing to pray. Believing God that you're going to prioritize prayer in your life. If you would come right now from the back, the front, upstairs, come right now and just simply kneel right here as a show of your desperation, as a show of your faith, as a show of your belief in the power of prayer. Families come, single adults come, young people come, children can come. I'm asking you to come change this platform to an altar of prayer, an altar of your faith. Make this your Shiloh, where you come and say, God, I'm not holding anything back from you. I'm bringing everything, Lord. I'm trusting you with my marriage. I'm trusting you with my prodigal son. I'm trusting you with this bad report from the doctors. I'm trusting you with my finances. I'm trusting you with these personal temptations that are seemingly overwhelming. But God, today, I'm not holding on to the advice of those who don't trust you. I'm believing God and God alone, and I'm praying. Just come and kneel and pray. Continue to come while we worship. Would you come and just make this your altar of Shiloh? Come and make this your altar of prayer. Come and let your life be changed irrevocably today and forever would you come families come men lead the way men of Clarksville lead the way to God so that your family behind you will know there goes a man of God my husband my dad my uncle my brother he's a man of God and ladies if the husband doesn't come you come without him Hallelujah. Rise up like Hannah. Have we got any Hannahs in the room? Women who will not listen to the negative and the destructive and the uh, disruptive, but rather will say, I'm going to turn this problem to Jesus. Would you come, ladies? Come to the Lord as we worship him right now. Come on.